Podcast Network. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> He's commitment phobic. She's passively commitment phobic. You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. <laughs> two, two, take two. Two, take two. Right. You can do it then. No, you, you, no, 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 okay. no, you do it. You do it. You have a deeper voice. You're better. He's commitment phobic. Stop trying to do an impression of me. <laughs> Just do yours. He's commitment phobic. Say what? <laughs> She's passively commitment phobic. You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Not bad. All right. All right. I'm ready to plead, I don't I'm ready to plead my case. Listen, I, don't, I read another book, guys. <laughs> did you read another book or did you I've read been the chapter? I've fucking books. What? I've been finishing all these books. What? I uh, believe that, yes, right now I am commitment phobic. I believe that. Jessa has uh, been trying to convince me over a two for twenty two meal at Applebee's <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I have always been commitment phobic. And uh, are you going to p- plead? What case are you pleading right now? I'm pleading that both of us have major commitment issues. And this information is coming from a book series, uh, Men Who Cannot Love. He's scared, she's scared, and then uh, getting to commitment. And it's very gendered, so I'm sorry uh, about that because it's old. So it's very, like, cliche, man, woman, roles, whatever. Sorry about that. But, but if this you can is get a whole the series. This is a trilogy yeah. of books. I guess this was like a men hit. Who, men who can't love. It was a hit book. He was on, like, Women Oprah who love stuff. too much. Yeah, because, oh, there are other ones that I won't read just because the title is, like, uh, what smart women know or whatever. And I'm like, get fucked. But <laughs> it's just, like, research. I wouldn't dude. leave Men Can't Love. That title makes me mad. Like, uh, yeah. I read He's Scared, She's Scared uh, because it when I was first learning about attachment. That at least sounds out. like equality. Yeah. So we're e- the genders are equally scared. So he came out with that, like, after... The 90s to th- early aughts or whatever, when it became obvious that women also have, you know, brains and, and issues and, and uh, minds of their own. And the first one, I think, was written when we were still in hardcore gender roles. Anyway, let me f- let me not lose my track of uh, my. Far- yeah. Why, yeah. <laughs> All right. Would hate to see you lose that. <laughs> Don't let me lose my track of train. <laughs> I downloaded this book in the winter when I read Attached and I didn't like this book and I didn't like this book because it implied that the women in relationships with uh, men who have commitment issues also have commitment issues and I just wasn't ready to hear that yet. So the book is just basically this dude, uh, all of his research is interviewing as many people as possible who have commitment issues. And this guy coined the phrase commit or the uh, name commitment phobia and people hate it. But the reason why do people hate it? 
seems like a very straightforward title. I think it got thrown around quite a bit after that and then um, like became like pop psychology. These books are older, so I think like what attachment, everyone's on the attachment kick now, but this was back a little commitment bit. phobia i don't know it makes sense to me I the reason a- that he called it commitment phobia is because it has all of the same symptoms of claustrophobia that when you talk to someone who has actual claustrophobia and they describe um the anxiety that close spaces cause them it's the same anxiety that someone with commitment phobia experiences yeah but that, and that, and he says, this is why? Because you also could have said, like, like all he took from that claustrophobia was the word phobia. Like, the suffix phobia. Yeah. And he was not like, listen, I called it commitment phobia. Because if you compare arachnophobia, yeah. it, you have the exact same <laughs> symptoms. <laughs> the irrational fear of spiders. <laughs> what do you mean? This is like your explanation. You just uh. added phobia. You're like a fear of commitment <laughs> literally translates to commitment phobia. And this guy's like, I did it because. <laughs> He's weirdly defensive yeah. about Dude. it. It's in all three books. <laughs> People. <laughs> all right. Okay, man. But it is, claustrophobic is a word that I would absolutely readily use to describe how uncomfortable I get when someone loves me. Yeah. I would also, I would, um, if someone tried to love me the way that I try to love men who are avoidant, I would run for the hills. It would be very, I guess I wouldn't. How do you try to love men who aren't avoidant? I don't. So (laughs) I just don't. There you go. The closest I've ever come. So my my a uh, brief summary of my love experiences was my first husband, uh, definitely avoidant, committed, co- was my boyfriend immediately. I'm also just kind of like you're my boyfriend now. That's how all of my relationships have gone. They that is true. So um, we he even hung- when you don't agree, they yeah. just <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's um, a very strong personalities. I very, am a very uh, very attractive. Strong personality it's a uh, good luck getting out of this orbit um so uh du- you know we're teenagers but dustin and i hung out like once or twice and then he was just my boyfriend and there wasn't a question about it and i think he lived in my house within a couple months but there was a lot of like complicated things there but he immediately cheated on me like he cheated on me when we were boyfriend and girlfriend and then was just such a dipshit that he would like tell on himself and so, uh, a dipshit, Jessica. Like, I went to Delaware for a, a man month. with a conscious. I went to Delaware for a month and then was like, Have you fucked anybody since I left? And he was like, No. And I was like, It counts if sh- you, uh, I mean, did you really not fuck her? You can't, like, make up some justification like it doesn't count because I slid the panties to the side. And then he starts cracking up laughing and he fucked someone and totally in his head was like, I'm not going to count that because I didn't take her panties off. And I just nailed it. <laughs> What? <laughs> I just like dude, 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 <laughs> dude. He I, was a Christian. He was used I, to doing mental gymnastics. I, um, when I was trying to get like uh my my clean days up, like I had to <laughs> had to keep a certain day number of days of sobriety, and by sobriety I mean not touching my penis. <laughs> I would justify like if I'd start masturbating, but I wouldn't come. Yeah. I'd be like. Good, man. I stopped myself before it went too far. That doesn't count. Still 
two and a half hours sober. <laughs> <laughs> you got to count those little victories, man. You got to. You were trying to not. It's so ridiculous. I I feel like, uh, you know, when, whenever they talk about that, you know, it's hard. This is more addictive than crack. They talk like, but it's like french fries or some shit yeah everyone's always talking yeah that's harder that's harder to kick than heroin i would love to talk to heroin junkies and listen to them and be like all right listen but imagine you are (laughs) 17 (laughs) and can't masturbate how long would you make it dude oh my god (laughs) oh to be a heroin junkie you have it so easy (laughs) you had it so easy because you don't have constantly heroin in your pants (laughs) i Imagine you're trying to be. Imagine you're trying to stay sober from heroin, and you constantly have heroin in between your legs at all times. Imagine you have to go to sleep alone at night with heroin in your in your pajama pants, and you tell me how long you would stay sober. Okay, okay, it is tough. All right. You need a detachable penis. Anyway, that's still crazy. I would. I justified some. Things, I listed things, but like but pulling panties to the side, it doesn't count as the craziest thing I've ever heard. I just knew he was lying, so I was like, "Did you fuck anybody else since I've been gone?" And he was like, "No." And I was like, "It." Listen, I'm talking about. Did you fuck somebody at all? I'm not. It doesn't. Uh, not this. It doesn't. You didn't count. have to look in her eyes when you fucked her. Yeah, it doesn't count because you didn't come. It, it, it doesn't count because you slid the panties to the side, and then he just started cracking up. That was part of it too. Was he just? Uh, I was so. Would cr- he laugh every time he confessed? That he, he was like, <laughs> she he, had a shaved head. <laughs> he fell for. I already know. So you might as well tell me so t- so many times. But what I know now is that he was avoidant, and once he felt guilty, once he did that, he would he would like devalue me in his head to justify cheating. Cheating is a huge distancing behavior. Uh huh. So for a long time, I was like, "Well, I just married someone who didn't get to like sow his wild oats," which I know you love that figure of speech. So like, his wild oats. In reality, uh, he was avoidant. He had commitment issues, and uh, he would have sex with other women to create distance. And then after he had sex with the women, he would have a crisis. Like if I really love Jessa as much as she loved me, I wouldn't do this, whatever. He's also though, extremely codependent. This man has never spent more than a month without a girlfriend. Like in his, he's 40 something now. Um, He has, he cannot be alone, but he's super commitment phobic. So then like now looking back he had issues with commitment which then turned me after getting cheated on a couple times I just went nuts like I didn't go nuts that time because we just were dating you know like we just gotten together who cares right but, but you've, then, t- you've told the story of is yeah. it Amy once we were yeah the girl with the shaved head was while we were married uh, all the stuff after I had was a kid. Is that the first time you went crazy or? No, the first time I went crazy was uh, during that two week long acid trip. He took off with my best friend. Right, 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 right. And I didn't find out about that until I was married. And then and then that girl and then there were a couple more. And so. Um, Jesus Christ. When I left him, I also will tell you that every man I've ever, uh, I've left every man that I've ever loved. And that they all regret it and they all come back and get me. And I used to think that was a testament to my strength or a testament to, uh, you know, how how you realize what you got after you're gone. And now I'm like, oh, no, I'm just I love commitment phobic guys who can only love you uh, when you're gone. <laughs> uh-huh. um, 
So I left him, and when he came back, he came after me after a couple months, and uh, I was done, though. I'd had, like, two and a half months and moved on with my life. I left him very uh, abruptly because I felt we were on and off, on and off, on. Like, we broke up constantly, and it was always me trying to escape because I was anxiously attached in that relationship, which feels like hell to me. And so I break up with him and then go back and then break up and then go back and I couldn't take it anymore. So I just bought, I had my dad buy me a plane ticket to Delaware and I told him, uh, house goes back to the landlord in a week and I'm moving to Delaware with your kid in two weeks. And we had a great two weeks. Like we were the fucking honeymoon. And to him, he was like, uh, we'll get back together because this is amazing. And to me, I was like, no, this was nice. Uh, I'm doing it this time. And I left. And then he came out to Delaware within a couple months. He fucked a bunch of chicks, did a bunch of coke, uh, and then realized his life was lame without me. And when he came out, I was like, I was done. I had like mourned it and was happier without him. And I did end up getting back together with him and I, I fucking hated it. The next relationship was Tyler. Same thing. First day we met, insane chemistry. I said what is this happening between us right now we had a moment and I was like you're my boyfriend now you live here at my house within an hour and a half of meeting him and then he was just uh my boyfriend had no problem committing to the relationship it was a insane honeymoon phase but then he slowly just started to check out I can't tell you for sure if Tyler really did abandoned me in that relationship or if I just had so much trauma carried over from Dustin that I projected onto him I think it was a little bit of both Tyler did just start playing video games and like not have conversations with me which is uh will turn me inside out and I was also high on meth uh same thing I left him and uh he was devastated and uh whatever next relationship but I was anxious in that relationship. I was super fucking anxiously attached to that relationship. I felt abandoned and awful. I felt like he tricked me uh, and then left me, right? Next relationship uh, is husband. I meet him on drugs. He's a huge fucking dick on drugs. And we break up and I move away. When he, he gets clean six months later, he calls me a few times in the interim and tries to talk to me. And I'm still in love with him. Like it took me a long time to fall out of love with him. And the only way to fall out of love with someone is just to not fucking talk to them at all. And so he would call me and I would be like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, I don't care how you're doing. And my heart would be racing and I'd have butterflies in my stomach and I would hang up as fast as possible and then just dream about him for days and think about him for days. But he didn't like, he wasn't uh, good to me. So I wasn't going to fucking uh, talk to him when he got clean. He, uh, called me and said I want to be your boy like I should have like I want to marry you which is very bold and direct and from the gate I said okay you have to do this that you have to move across the country you have to go live in this fucking sober house which is like he would hate I gave him a list of things to do that were like awful like he would have to climb a mountain and in retrospect I think I assumed he wouldn't climb the mountain uh, there was safety in that mountain. But also I felt like for me to give you another chance, you have to do. And he did all of it. And as soon as he did all of it, I felt 
way too committed. Like I felt like the walls were closing in on me. And this was something I wanted. And six months before that, like daydreamed about a reality in which he would somehow magically be in Delaware and realize that he made a big mistake. Cause I loved him very much when I left the relationship hadn't, didn't feel like it ran its course. And, uh, about six months in, we were supposed to move in together was kind of the agreement was, uh, I need six months to see if you're being honest, you know, if you're going to treat me good and stuff. And he did everything he said he was going to do. And now we are, uh, at that point, we're a full year into us being boyfriend and girlfriend, which is a long time for me not to live with someone. And especially compared to the last, yeah, yeah. an hour. And even he and I lived together immediately in our, in our past relationship. And so, uh, he just starts saying like, when are we going to move in together? Cause he didn't want to live in this fucking halfway house thing. And, uh, now looking back on it, I started devaluing him in my head. The pressure of wanting to move in together made me feel claustrophobic, but I didn't have the language to articulate that. And so what I experienced it as is ugh, every fucking day off, I have to take him to the barber shop and I'm just like nitpicking and he's never going to be the kind of person that does this. And I'm really into people that are taller. Like every just, day off, you had to take him to the barber shop. I didn't get many days off. And uh, yeah, it was like he didn't have a car yet. Would, I mean, but how often is he cutting his hair? That's my question. A lot. He shaved his head. He used to shave his head bald and wouldn't do it himself for some reason. And so, mm. yes, every day off he had to go. It was like he wanted it like just a little bit above. Uh, he's a he's a uh, an interesting fella, but uh, a huge pain in the ass. And so, um, but I don't care. Like I don't care if you're a pain in the ass. Like I like that. I like that about. Uh, I like complicated difficult men like I'm attracted to that and so for me to be like just p- nitpicking stuff like that when I have a huge capacity to just work around things was now when I look back me feeling freaked out by this person who Wants just to commit. W- wanted to be with me and just wasn't he's aloof you know I could never be with someone who's like clingy at at all because if you like come at me with expectations early in a relationship I just I'll run fast and so he was just nor- like normal and um I finally decided I'm not in love with him and the reason that I decided I wasn't in love with him is because it didn't hurt and I had been in love twice already and when I'm in love I am obsessed with the person I'm obsessed with them I think everything they do is great I don't notice anything that I don't like And, uh, I, and it hurts, it's painful and I am crazy and I'm not crazy for you. So this isn't love. And I went away. I did a couple super avoidant things. I like went on multiple trips without calling him while I was gone. And then, um, like acted like, uh, put out when he was like, why didn't you call me? Just like, and he wasn't like, why didn't you call me? He was just like, I haven't heard from you in a week. And I was just like, uh, uh, I'm trying to do comedy stuff, you know? And then I said, I want to move to New York, which is just me. That's just me in a nutshell. It used to be every city I visited, I would come home and be like, I want to move to, we <laughs> need to move here everywhere I went. And so I was like, I need to move to New York. And all he said was, 
uh, I don't think I like New York. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, I got to make my fucking decisions around him. Like, what the fuck? And so I was like, I don't think I'm in love with you. This is on the phone. This is on the phone to a man who moved 3,000 miles across the country and did everything I said six months ago to be with me. And he was like, what? And I said, I don't think I'm in love with you. And uh, I don't think, I think we should just be best friends. That's what I wanted. Because I wanted the relationship without any of the, uh, what felt like pressure. Yeah. And so, uh, and I thought he would give that to me. I thought because he had opportunities in Delaware that he would stay in Delaware and let me have exactly what I already had, but without any expectation. And uh, he, he was I, like, there ain't no bitch worth staying in Delaware. Yeah, for. <laughs> exactly. He's like from Chicago, you know, he's like fucking, yeah, right. So we worked together and we drove to work and he hung up on me that night. And then the next day in the car is when I am like, here's my plan is we can just be best friends. Uh, we can still like have sex or, or whatever and hang out all the time and just give me some time. Like, I don't think I was ready. I got clean and then got a year before uh, you moved here. And I think I need more time to just be an adult. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm not staying in Delaware. I'm going to go to Chicago. And uh, if I meet someone else before you get your shit together, then I meet someone else. Like, I'm not promising you anything. I'm not waiting for you. I just did all this shit for you. And when he said that and the, the option of this fantasy relationship I thought I could keep him in was off the table, I felt like broken and desperately afraid of loss and like, uh, oh my God, I need him back. And so I started trying to take it back pretty quick. And then he was like, uh, no, I think you need to seek help or something. Because if you think love is this fucking pain in my chest right now, this is what you think love is. There's something wrong with you and you don't know anything about love. And uh, I've never felt anything like this before. I'll never want to feel it again. And now I don't trust you. And I was like, uh, I'm like, I'm I like. Uh, he was like booking a ticket to Chicago. So I flailed and tried to get him to forgive me for uh, a few days and he wouldn't. And then finally, when he texted me, I told the story on that Patreon episode, but yeah. finally he texted me and said, you know, uh, come over, let's talk. And I sat down and was so excited the whole drive there. It was like, yes, he's going to, yes, he's going to give me another chance. We're going to work. It's going to be fine. And I sat down on the couch and he said, I thought about it. And like, you know, considering everything in our past, it would be crazy for me not to forgive this right now. So like, we'll just forget it ever happened. And I went, I need more time. <laughs> immediately I felt and that was so claustrophobic the feeling in that moment where I was like I regretted that I told him that I regretted it I regretted uh like everything in that moment was like I need more time I need to yeah I just like gone and then he was like get fucked bitch like I don't get the fuck out of my face I have to get to the barbershop and uh, <laughs> And then uh, the next 10 days, two weeks, whatever, were a living hell. This is the worst pain I've ever felt. Worst uh, in all of painful attachments I've ever had. Did it feel like what love is? Yeah, it was different. I can't. It felt like I stepped off of the path that I was supposed to be on. It felt like I took part of my soul and removed it. It was a morning I had never experienced before. And I just knew that I had made a huge mistake. And we got back together and that claustrophobic, came, uh, it, I had to fight 
he made it very difficult. Yeah, your dad had to come. My talk dad to him. had to get involved, and uh, and then I felt not in the fight. Your dad didn't fight him. No, uh, my dad helped talk to him into getting back together with me, and uh, I felt claustrophobic after that, and I just kept it to myself, and I remembered what it felt like to lose him. I just associated that feeling with those feelings of claustrophobia and I eventually learned to let this person love me. And as time went on, I felt repulsed by him freely loving me. And I just learned to put those feelings away. This would be a good time to take a break and then I'll shut the fuck up. (laughs) You heard the lady. Okay. If you forgot where you were after those commercials, uh, Jessa had been giving us a rundown of her entire romantic history. Yeah. Uh, you. So, are we caught up to speed or what? Yeah, and then you. <laughs> All right, so, which of those relationships would you say I was commitment phobic in? Well, definitely the last one. Right. Definitely the last one, of course. And just the last one. Wrong. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and this is what why. a crazy surprise. I knew you were going to say that. Okay. I know you did. You were at Applebee's with me. <laughs> this was the revelation um, in He Said, She Said, where the participants in a commitment phobic relationship are both commitment phobic. One is actively commitment phobic and the other is passively commitment phobic. He's scared. She's scared. He's scared. She's scared. Okay. Did I say it wrong? Said I think we said he said you said he said oh, she he said, said but she that's said. just because I had just said he said she said yeah. that's all. Anyway, all the get better titles for your books. Yeah. Okay, I mean this one's slightly less embarrassing, but um, the active commitment phobic does all of like what you would call avoidant stuff. It's a little more extreme. The descriptions of this stuff are a little more extreme than your average avoidant. But uh, most commitment phobic men come on very strong at the beginning. Uh, They are positive. They are in love. They are get very caught up in the intimacy of the moment early on. And a lot of times they like women that don't want them back. But a lot of times they are able to persuade that woman to... Uh, be interested back like after that was like a common can we just say person Person. like i know that if the book says man woman whatever yeah but for our purposes uh you know person a person yeah because i feel like it can be either the only reason i I, thought it was uh easier to stick with the he and the she is because uh it's clunky to say the active commitment phobic but that is that is slightly clunky yeah uh you are you're correct so obviously i have an example of myself being the active commitment phobic so for the sake of this we will say uh he but it obviously is uh okay a bullshit gender rule so he will actively pursue and be excited about a relationship early on and then active commitment phobics uh, check out or get freaked out or start to feel that claustrophobic moment at different times. Some of them make it all the way to marriage and then they turn into that dude who's always isolating down in his man cave because he just feels burdened by his wife, which is my actual nightmare is to be into in one of those marriages. Um, some of them it's right after they propose. Some of them it's right after their child is born. Some of them it's right after they have sex. And when they describe what it's like right after they have sex, 
I'm like, oh my God. Oh my, is that when Harry met Sally? They, yeah. They have sex and then it pans over to, it's like it pans across their faces and Sally's so happy, just so, so happy. And Harry's eyes are wide open and like he just made a huge mistake. You just, by the way, slept with uh, Meg Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> at her Meg Ryanist, by the way. That's a Gary Goldman joke, but one of my favorites because it's, she is at her Meg Ryanist in When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. I watch it almost every Thanksgiving. I I love it. But uh but way I don't know uh, I don't know how it compares, but I did just recently see The Long Shot and uh in it Seth Rogen has to decide if he is uh really willing to be in a relationship with Charlize Theron. Wow. <laughs> Seth Rogen and I was like this you well, that is how it is in real life though uh, i guess you're right i guess you're dog right. ass fucking dudes uh are ruining bomb women uh <laughs> no but this is very similar to my reaction to sex is it yeah i mean when i'm trying to figure out the way that i feel after i make out with someone and then want to never speak to them again I'm like, oh, maybe this is shame and guilt from my childhood trauma, which I think is partially where commitment phobia comes from. Sure. But I feel uh, claustrophobic, exposed. They're going to expect a bunch of shit from me. Uh, Why do you want to talk to me the day after we made out? I run away, basically. Now I know I do it. So, like, if I made out with someone, I'd be like, I won't talk to you for, like, two weeks after this, just so you know. Um guess that's a little better yeah it's uh you know i should say it before we make out but so that is interesting the passive commitment phobic uh describes like the person that says i just want a relationship why can't i find a relationship this is a big one for men like passive commitment phobic men have loved several women and were ready to settle down with several women but all of those women were like married lived in another state we're Meg Ryan, yeah. <laughs> uh, 1989, uh, when Harry met Sally. I actually don't know what year it came out. I just, I just guessed, but uh, I would marry her if she wasn't a fictional character from uh, a movie that uh, came out when I was a child. <laughs> okay, but are you saying you were passive commitment phobic in your first two relationships? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> What is that? How did that manifest itself in those? Like, what what about those relationships means you were passive commitment phobic? The power dynamic in both of those relationships. It's hard to say with the first one because we were kids, but is uh, like you you moved in immediate. Well, the first, the second one, you moved in immediately. It seems like that I would call that commitment. That doesn't seem like someone who's afraid of commitment. So I think and you're then, missing this up with like commitment phobics commit, but then they have mad anxiety from the commitment so he's uh one of the things that he talks about is like the misnomer that the commitment phobic people are single forever uh, this, this does sound this does sound weird because that, that, that's being like claustrophobic people <laughs> get in closets okay listen 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 this is a common misconception claustrophobic people get in closets all the time they love it but then as soon as they get in it they feel anxious yeah they think they want it they think they want to get in that closet full of spiders. Yeah. It is a bad comparison to claustrophobia. But Okay. 
So on both sides, passive and active, they both think that they want intimacy and commitment and then they get it. And then when it feels bad for the active commitment phobic, it feels bad. And then he decides that the reason it feels bad is because this partner is deficient in some way. And for like the unconscious ones that are not self-aware at all, they're like, their excuses for leaving women are very arbitrary and strange. Like, I didn't like the way she talked to her mom every day on the phone, or she had a cat I didn't like, or she was really into whatever. It's like, you know, shit that wouldn't fucking matter if you weren't looking for an excuse to leave. But it's usually that she was boring, I didn't find her stimulating. And this would be something that he was someone he was super or she was super excited about in the beginning. And th this is becomes a pattern. And what it is, is that once they get to whatever they define commitment as they get anxious and they feel closed in on and they feel like the walls are closing in. And then that they. But did, did you ever feel that way in your first two relationships? Did you ever feel no, like the because wall? I was passively uh, okay. commitment phobic so a passive commitment phobic is just basically going after someone else who's commitment phobic so that you can hide your own commitment phobia if so you, it can be all it can be all their fault and you never have to be the bad guy yeah so, you don't even have to so admit you it to are yourself. you are like in a way that a avoidant person who uh, is chasing unavailable people yeah but you're just putting yourself in a relationship with someone who will feel claustrophobic and feel and like and push away and become unavailable yeah uh and uh say what the the psychological reasoning is behind that are you trying to is the passive person trying to chase why get into a relationship why are they subconsciously seeking out people that would be bad partners i think it comes down to the the conflict uh and that's what they called it uh conflicted is that they want intimacy. Both parties want intimacy and then can't handle it, do not know how to handle it. And so um, being a passive commitment phobic, which just seems like they're very interchangeable, like commitment phobics just play both roles with different people, and that a passive commitment phobic would get to feel like they were trying Get to feel like they were vulnerable. Get to be the victim. Get to be the victim. Yeah. And, but in reality, all of the signs were there from the beginning that this person can't meet your emotional needs, has no interest in meeting your emotional needs. And then the two kind of get into an infinite cycle of back and forth, breaking up and getting back together. Because the only time they're both comfortable is in between the breakup and the makeup. Oh, wow, that hits close to home. <laughs> yeah. uh, hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys know, Jess and I have broken up 18 times. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, all of this re resonates and rings true to me. Yeah. I, t I, I, I understand both sides. I get it. I feel that way. I feel like I've been commitment phobic for a couple of years now. I think ever since the divorce, I have definitely, I have craved intimacy and uh, been scared of it at the same time. I feel like I've wanted to, I think I've, I've sought ways without really thinking about it in the beginning. 
I, yeah. I think I was doing all this on autopilot in the beginning. Um, and I was looking for ways to like have intimacy in a controlled environment, you know, and that's what Tinder was for me. Like I'd be super intimate with people, just pillow talk and all, and just like compliment, shower them with compliments and stuff. And then, uh, it's over. Good night. Goodbye. Like in a, you know, um, strung several different people along like this. Yeah. Uh, and so I, 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 and I get chasing after people who are uninterested. I did that as well. That like gave me a safe environment to be even more effusive. Yeah. Even more, like say, you know, say sweeter things because I know that there's no, um, fear of reciprocation like i don't have to be afraid of them uh saying anything nice back to me because uh uh, they don't like me (laughs) yeah uh and so i I get all of that but tonight at applebee's you uh were putting out the i don't know why we're sponsored by applebee's tonight (laughs) I don't know where people just, want people to Jessa, know. Jessa loves uh, twos so much <laughs> that we ate at fucking Applebee's. <laughs> fucking Applebee's. Do you know, but you know what's nuts? I asked this woman at Applebee's if they had any drink specials. And she was like, no, uh, like we don't do any discounted drinks until nine o'clock. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just stick with the water. She's like, we do have uh, $1 margaritas. And I was like, that's a fucking drink special. Maybe the margaritas are always a buck. Dollarita. You can just get a margarita for a, for a dollar. But, Gross. Uh, <laughs> um, why is this is better than that uh, Butcher Box commercial we recorded? <laughs> Oh, man. Speaking of which. To be fair, uh, Applebee's delivered their food to me. (laughs) (laughs) Is it already time for another commercial? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, my God. All right. Stay tuned. After this commercial break, we're going to dive into my high school relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's my story. I believe I have always wanted a committed relationship and sought after uh, committed relationships. I was a hopeless romantic. Like, I love the idea of just falling in love with someone and getting married and staying married forever. Mm-hmm. And um, I did that. And then I had an ugly divorce, a rude awakening to the world and found out, like, you know, very few people's first relationship works out and this is what happens when your heart gets broken and ever since then i've been of well when we started talking about attachment styles um i was like okay i used to be anxious which i'm going to bring that up again in my defense and then and now it seems like i've become avoidant or maybe i'm not avoidant maybe i'm just commitment phobic like all Whatever. They're interchangeable, I guess. I don't know. But that all makes sense. I feel like I'm commitment phobic. I need... I think you've brought up some interesting points. And I'm going to go through... Talk about some high school things. Okay. And I know what you're going to say. I can see where you would think that. But uh, here's here's where we will... 
we will argue did uh, we determine uh, that i believe that you were have been a commit that you have had commitment issues always yeah okay. it's just because you want some company in this yeah. uh club <laughs> you're just like we all did it okay i feel like i always liked girls and always liked like wanted a girlfriend which is hard to do uh when you're super mormon right they're not allowed to uh, date or, or anything uh, but I, I wanted to I did in eighth grade there I tried to I tried to date a girl oh fuck me fuck <laughs> fuck 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 already damn this fuck. is quick. I just remembered sixth grade <laughs> sixth grade my sister slept over at her friend's house and I like had to go like deliver something to her friends out something. It was like at night. And I remember like going up to this door and this girl answered the door. And I was like, this is the prettiest girl I've ever uh, seen in my life. And I told my sister that who told her friend that who told her little sister. This is the one who yeah. answered the door that. Right. And so then I think we were uh, soon after that, like we were we were dating at the end of sixth grade or something. But it's just like it's like one of those awkward yeah uh, sixth grade relationships uh, relationship where they like I said okay I like you and then I never saw her again for months. Yeah, you know it's just like summer came and we didn't speak to each other or anything. And then um, I remember like seeing her again in middle school in like seventh grade. And this is when I, I said, oh, fuck, because I remember feeling guilty uh, because I was like, oh, this girl likes me more than I like her. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember uh, like they, we weren't in the same class, but we were in the same middle school. And I remember like girls uh, coming up to me and being like, oh. Uh, so and so, I won't share her name. So and so says the year uh, her boyfriend, and I was like, oh, just panicked the idea that like people thought I was someone's boyfriend, and that she, this girl thinks about me, and uh, that she. Uh, I I remember feeling panicked. I remember yeah. feeling panicked and feeling guilty, and like having to like uh, break up with her or something. And it was uh, I was just like, you know, like we walked. F- I, we walked from school one day just, and I was like, uh, yeah, uh, I don't like you. <laughs> and then, and then I, and then we like split ways at the crosswalk. <laughs> I just kept going straight and like, bye. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm already fucked. I, yeah, uh, just, that's that sound, that feeling. I, I haven't thought about that growing a long time, but that feeling, mm-hmm. uh, is how I feel today about like somebody liking me. Yeah, and that it was a person who, when you saw her originally, was like, "This is the prettiest girl I've ever and seen." I had no problem sh- uh, sharing that. Like, yep. I told my sister so that she would tell. So, that, like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I had no problem with that. That sounds like my behavior today. Mm-hmm. Fuck. All right. Well, all this right. episode's over. Yeah. We're all, we're all done. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about high school, uh, but we didn't even get to middle school. In elementary school, this fuck me. God damn it. All right. I'm going to tell my story anyway. In middle school, I tried to do the same exact thing. It's always at the end of the school year that you like confess your feelings to someone, and then you take a summer break. This is the the we talk. I uh, I've read several academic articles about why we should do away with summer break. That it's an outdated system that's based on an agrarian society, and uh, that it doesn't make that much sense. And like the 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 drop offs and like student retention, uh, it's just nuts. Like you. 
we expect our our school system to make a, to like just do everything on its own, and it's it's really what happens at home that determines how smart your kid is. And but we put all the pressure on teachers to to teach our kids. But like you can look at students who start out the year. Uh, like someone's reading way better than another. And throughout a school year, teachers can close that gap. Teachers can get them closer uh, to the students that were reading well at the beginning. And it's like, great. And then summer break happens and you come back the next year and that gap is is back. Uh, it's, wow. it's even wider and it gets wider every single summer vacation. And there's like that reason. And just like, the, like a lot of people are pushing, like we should do a year round school with like breaks, uh, like smaller breaks in throughout the year. What no one's talking about in all these journals and all these publications is what, uh, summer break does to romance. Uh, <laughs> you just, uh, it's just messed up, man. It's messed up. But like at the end of eighth grade, it's like you you like someone all year and you have crush on them, but you don't. It takes you all, and then like the end of the year is coming, and everyone's like pressuring you to tell the, tell that girl that you like her. And then, so then you do, and then you're, she's like, "I like you too." And now you're boyfriend and girlfriend, and now you're not going to see each other again for three months. You yeah. you leave, right? But I felt like I was committed to that girl. Like I I liked her, and in my mind, she was my girlfriend, and uh, I I had I like I wasn't trying to find a girlfriend like this is my girlfriend right mm -hmm. and then uh at the one of the most any embarrassing... symptoms that she was awful or uh uh no she was she was she i mean now looking back on her yeah uh, in eighth grade she was like one of the hottest girls she was probably the hottest girl in the class uh she was definitely the one i had the biggest uh crush on now looking back on it i'm like i don't i don't understand why uh uh like like her, her, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, there's no need to get mean and petty. I just like, it wasn't until ninth grade. I had, uh, we went to different schools in ninth grade and I joined a fucking musical so that I could be with her still. Like, so that I could see her after school. Did you guys talk all the time over the summer or? Mm, I don't know. Probably not. Okay. You know, little teeny tiny bits, but probably not. Then I joined, what's it called? Bugsy Malone? <laughs> Bugsy fucking Malone. I'm in a fucking musical with just people who do. Do you know the kids who do musicals? They're not, not, they're not that fun to hang out with. Uh, but I like this girl, so I was going to uh, be with her. And there was this guy who was like super annoying. I didn't like him, and I didn't like that they were all, like that he was always being so... I don't know, familiar, familiar yeah. with her. And then one day he said, hey, do you know if she has a boyfriend? And I was <gasps> like, wait, I was like, it's really excited. And I was like, yeah, she does. It's me. And he laughed. He went, <laughs> and I was like, uh, and he said, no, seriously. And I was like, seriously, I'm her boyfriend. And he was like, oh, that's weird. She said you were just friends. Oh. And it was the most humiliating, embarrassing uh moment in my life and then she uh called me that night and i answered the phone like in front of my family and i couldn't say anything because my family couldn't know that we were dating you know yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so i just was like uh-huh she was like i didn't think we were dating and uh i didn't i had no idea you thought we were boyfriend and girlfriend and i was like uh-huh yeah okay all right <laughs> 
I was just, I was, I like red in the face, just wanted to cry, humiliated. Uh, and then um, I tried to get my mom to let me quit Bugsy Malone. <laughs> she told me I could not because she had already made a whole fuss about to the director about forcing me to, to forcing him to let me be in Bugsy Malone without doing Sunday rehearsals because she did this whole freedom of religion thing. Oh like my how, God. how it would be discriminatory to not let me play the part of knuckles uh <laughs> a guy with one line just because i can't make sunday rehearsals so like she was like absolutely not you you have to do this play and so then i had to go to all these rehearsals and watch those two oh my uh God. like uh, kiss and hold hands and stuff and they started dating it's okay he's he's gay he's totally gay and we all i mean everyone but her knew it in eighth in ninth grade but that's uh, it's a very poor consolation prize. All right. During eighth grade, was there anyone that liked you? Ninth grade, anyone that liked you? Yeah. Well, I mean, she liked me in eighth grade, too. Let's yeah. not. Let's not. Uh, she liked me, but also, like, several people liked me in eighth grade. I was hot shit in eighth grade. Uh, ninth grade. Oh. Uh, Ninth grade, I went to this this high school that I don't ever talk about. I hate it. It was like one of the worst years of my life. I didn't talk to anyone except uh, at lunchtime. I just kind of like shyly sat down at a table full of sophomore, like hot sophomore, like emo, punk, hot sophomore girls. One of them had like pink hair. Anyway, I, I had crushes on all of them. And like I, I never uh, spoke. Fuck me. God. <laughs> Fuck. All right, listen, there's a lot. That, all right, this is, I just thought of another story that I don't think counts. I think that's about me being scared of sex. I was at a party and one of those girls uh, rubbed uh, her leg up. Like she slid her leg in, bet- like in between my legs and rubbed it up against my dick. And I literally uh, walked backwards. Reversed out of the room. I reversed out of the room. I held, I, we never broke eye contact and I just, I just walked backwards and then, uh, like started a conversation with someone else. But so, I think it's me being scared of sexual I loved, advances. I loved all these stories about you running from sex or making out or whatever. Um, as innocent Mormon boy. Yeah, I but think But then that's there's what that this is. also like at the eighth grade dance, you knew you were going to get to rub your penis on someone's butt. Mm-hmm. So there was also a part of you that wanted that. And so maybe it wasn't your innocent Mormon boy, um, but rather the innocent Mormon narrative was the voice that helped you run from people that liked you i don't know i think i think people are complicated and it's not always neat and tidy yeah i think that there are absolutely the low stories are about me like having no fucking clue like if if that girl at that party had like been like nice and sweet and like wanted to just like uh kiss me or something that i could have i think i was prepared for that but uh i just gotten off my shift at papa john's and i didn't know <laughs> what to do if someone touched my wiener i was like <laughs> there's a whole other level it's like i have no i got no fucking clue here I'm way out of my depth in high school i felt like I wanted a girlfriend. There were girls that wanted, there was one girl in particular that was like down to hook up with me. Well, we had like, we met and there was chemistry and I liked her right away. And I liked her for the rest of high school, but like she never wanted to date me. She had just was like down to hook up with me. And at that time I had never heard the words hook up before. And I was very scared about that. She and I, Whatever. But I was like, I would have loved you. I would have married you. But I wasn't going to hook up with you. 
So I missed my chance with that girl. There's another girl uh, that I spend most of high school pining after. She's not interested in me at all. (laughs) (laughs) I finally, by the end of high school, I... It was like a team effort. I feel like the entire grade peer pressured her into dating me. Everyone had been saying for years, like, why don't you date him? He he likes you so much. And so we went to prom together and became boyfriend-girlfriend. We were boyfriend-girlfriend for a month, maybe two months. Again, it's summer break. <laughs> but like um, this time, at least we see each other. Like we saw each other. I was always at her house all the time. And... uh she, I, it's Mary Wilson. We've talked about yeah. her on the podcast before. Uh, she never kissed me on prom night. She kissed me on my cheek, and that was the most action we ever got. Her mom is on the record as saying like she felt safe leaving us home alone because she knew that nothing was going to happen. <laughs> so like I pined after this girl that didn't like me. So I see how this fits into uh-huh. right, but I feel like I was trying to commit. I was trying to commit to her. Now, had you committed to any girls in high school? I had a girlfriend before mm-hmm. before Mary, um, and we like it was great. I don't know, like we were attracted to each other. We flirted for a little bit, and then pretty quickly we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh-huh. And then we were making out in stairwells and on bleachers and stuff like that. And then again, fucking summer break, dude. Uh, but I I remember like here's my art argument for me not being commitment phobic i told my parents immediately yep. i remember t- like like oh i was so cocky when i told my dad that day i was in the garage on my little weight bench that i had and i was lift i was bench pressing and i was like hey dad just thought you should know i had my first kiss today and my first girlfriend and my dad in true my dad fashion put his body weight onto the the bar and just <laughs> leaned, just leaned down on my chest and started uh killing me <laughs> <laughs> just, just just killing me and, and he just uh i think i think right before that he said oh so you think you're really big huh and i was like man well, you know, i'm saying i think i got a girlfriend that's all i'm saying and then he just I, he didn't say anything else after that he just put all of his weight down on my chest while i red faced like tried to push against it and then and then just like mate felt like his point was clear yeah like don't get too big for your britches and that was it but like i told my parents we did she did things with my family uh-huh. i went to her house i met her family um we were out in the open and stuff, uh, and then. So it's not the uh, afraid to become a. Bo- it is now. Like you, yeah. you do have that level of commitment phobia. But did you all of a sudden become overcome with anxiety about the relationship after it was going good? Did you it was break it off very, while it, it was, was going, going good? Very good. It was going very good. I. Fuck. Fuck. Okay. So I do. <laughs> I can't. I do remember thinking she likes me more than I like her. Okay. And that I that the that's a problem, right? Like we should like each other the same. And I don't think I like her as much. But I also, being a complicated, complex human being, I was also very scared of uh, how sexual uh, things were getting. I was very like I knew I wasn't supposed to do any of this stuff, and I like I wanted to. This is the this is the girl I talked about like touching the like the edge, the bottom edge of her bra, yeah, and and like being too turned on by that. Uh, and then I went to EFY that summer, which is Mormon summer camp, and they 
hella guilted me into breaking up with her. Like we, had, I remember like one session, like some some speaker, or whatever, like specifically talked about don't date uh, non Mormons, and right. you could get yourself in trouble, and you know you could have sex and never get to go on a mission and something. I remember making a promise at EFY that I would go home and break up with my girlfriend. But that was probably kind of a relief um, to have a reason. Yeah. Uh, I was probably kind of relieved to have a reason. Yeah. Because I didn't think that I uh, I liked her as much as she liked me. But, but I, you, you focused most of your affection for people that didn't want you for like multiple years running. Yeah. Yeah, the two girls that I like, I think I, I spent the most time pining after were girls that never uh, wanted me. So yeah. I, I, I see what you're getting. <laughs> okay, I see what you're trying to do. But listen, um, you know, there's a, a, a relationship I've never, I don't think I've ever talked to you about uh, is this girl from Maryland uh, before my mission. She was Mormon. And you know, I, you remember when I said I would, like Brother Kirkham, I'd go play volleyball on like it was called Institute, yeah. And they would teach us a lesson, and then we'd play volleyball all night long, yeah. And it was all the all the Mormons in this one region of Maryland would come, and that's where I first uh, I, start, I met this girl. Actually, I think I met her at a at a dance. We danced. Oh my fucking god, Jessa! Look at this spider. Arachnophobia. Oh my god, there's a spider just crawl. Oh, 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 Jess, why'd you move, Jess? Jess, did you think that it was jumping after you? Why did... uh, no, it just like when you stood up, it started screaming behind the picture frame. God, I Jess, wanted something to kill it with. Yeah, that's uh, I guess you could have gotten that. I was trying. <laughs> All right, well, All right, uh, now you here. have to go sit under that picture. <laughs> I'll let you know when it crawls out. Okay. Uh, I think this relationship is a good example of me trying to commit. I met this girl, um, and I liked her very, very much. And Fuck, no, it doesn't <laughs> help. She didn't like me. <laughs> this is the thing. And I... And I pers- I was persistent and I tried and we had like this this really fun romance where we liked each other but wouldn't tell each other and stuff. And it wasn't until uh, I right before I left. Fuck, this doesn't help me at all. <laughs> right uh, before I moved out of Maryland, we had a we finally had a date and it was so fucking romantic. It was an incredibly romantic date. I mean, like we like we're like on a dock on a on a river just alone in the middle of the night just talked all night and it was it was great i moved to idaho we continue this relationship on the phone and like we tell each other that we love each other mm-hmm. and uh i fly back to maryland before uh i have my mission call i think yeah and i like to see her and i stayed like at her family's house for a couple of weeks and i was uh there to be there with her and like 
kiss her for the first time. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, we hadn't kissed or made out or anything yet. And uh, she picked me up from the airport and she was super weird. She didn't kiss me at the airport like I thought we were going to. And then we had a couple of like awkward days at her house before she finally told me that uh, she didn't like me and she wanted to break up. And I had, oh like, my God. I had like a week and a half left on this oh trip. Oh my God. I went to my friend Luke's house and just tried to do other stuff for a while. Um, she was breaking up with me in this like little... <laughs> Because uh, this is a Mormon family, right? So like, I wasn't like allowed to stay. You did tell me the story a super long time ago, right? It's it's so it's so long. I used to love telling the story. I told uh, at the MTC, people requested me to tell this story, and I would just tell this whole <laughs> epic long tale of of failed romance. But I remember, uh, so I was staying in a trailer on their property, like in front of their house. They had a trailer, uh, like an RV, and that's yeah. where I was staying, so that I couldn't, you know. Uh, deflower their daughter or something and she was in the trailer breaking up with me oh and my god they sent all of her brothers out to the trailer to make sure like like you know like just kind of like annoyingly like you yeah know, just hey go go bother them and so they show up with like bats and broomsticks like just to be funny like hey anything funny happening here i'm like no just get my heart broken and stepped on <laughs> oh my glad god. glad there's an audience for this now oh thank you so much uh, that spider the spider's out again. Should we kill it now? Yeah. Well, now he's like up by the ceiling, which is just going to be complicated. Yeah. Wait till he comes down the. What wall. if he's just like commitment phobic? I know. <laughs> just wants to listen. <laughs> anyway, All so right. uh, that was a relationship that I felt like I committed myself to. Passively committed yourself to. How did I know that I was passively doing it? I didn't know that she was going to break yeah, up. Yeah. So me it's when a completely there. subconscious thing. It's a completely. So uh, an example of the person who is passively commit uh, commitment phobic is the, oh, Susie just wants a good man and can never find a good man. She just wants to be a wife her whole life. She wants to be a wife. She wants to be a mother. But and it's just one unavailable dude after another. This book is saying that's because she out. doesn't really want a commitment. Hmm. Otherwise, when a man... The, I hate the nice guys narrative because usually the guys who fancy themselves nice guys are uh, not. But have you ever... I love that the title of this episode is going to be arachnophobia. Yeah. We are just staring at this. <laughs> guys, it is an you summoned ugly him earlier. black spider. Uh, um, you Have you ever... Excuse me while I be a man and do manly duties. Like use a flip drop to kill a spider. He's like right up in that corner. That's yeah, gonna be hard to I'm, get. Okay. You say we wait. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can wait. Or we, we can spray wait. him. Spray him with. Do you have bug spray? You're just gonna hit him with some dry shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Pick your mic up. When you keep an eye on this on this guy, I've got the flip flop at the ready. How do you explain Tabitha? Okay. I don't have enough. Your memories are so weird. My my diagnosis would be that Tabitha was always on the avoidant side of things. Like, obviously, she's avoidant. I think she was avoidant enough that you felt comfortable. You never felt enveloped by her. You never felt... Um, Maybe. You were kids when you got married, so it's tough. It's tough to say... Speaking of when we got married, 
months after we met each other. Uh huh. I had no plans on getting married. I told all the other missionaries that. Lots of missionaries fantasize about how they're going to go home and get married. Although I did go home and 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 meet up with that girl that uh from that didn't kiss me. And oh really? It, it was so fucking weird, Jess. Um, she. I called her before I went on my mission, trying to get some closure. And we had a good conversation. She said she was going to write me and send me care packages. Um, she never did. I did a really funny joke <laughs> where I wrote her, I addressed her uh, a letter and um, it was thick. It was an envelope was like thick, like, uh, and I, but it was just eight pieces of paper that I, uh, that were all blank. And on the front of one of them, I said, uh, you owe me a care package. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that it said. And I, ma- I mailed it to her. So she gets this uh, letter, this thick envelope from Anciano Woodall and is like, oh, oh my. And then it's, it just says that. So that's a great prank on my part. Yeah. Um, I forget about her. You better get it now. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm getting, I'm going to get the spider. <laughs> you might have to do a slow press up into him. That's the word. This is the word here. <laughs> yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Spider bones. Spider bones. <laughs> but we're just going to keep obsessing with this record. Dude, you knew I was coming. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, now you're playing dead? Really? Are you dead? No, he's not dead. He seems very... (laughs) You did a great job. (laughs) Anyway, I completely forget about this girl. I get lost in the work the way that you're supposed to. And then one day out of nowhere, I come home and there's a letter from her and it just sends me reeling. And it's like this, she she professes all these, she says sweet, just... Sweet thing, a long that a big thick letter like the one I sent, but with real words and stuff, uh-huh. and it just threw me. And then I tried did my best to forget about her, but I was like, I'm gonna look her up when I get home. And I went home and uh, went to just like meet her and see, you know, maybe there's something there. And she tells me that she's uh, dating someone. And I'm like, okay. Then we just like keep talking and like having a good time. And then she reveals that like, no, this is like my boyfriend. And then uh, like we keep talking and I'm like, is that ring? Is that a ring on your finger? And she was like, yeah. So he just proposed to me. Oh my God. uh, Did you fly to Maryland to see her? No, she's living in Utah at this time. Right. Uh, And I'm like, cool. And I'm like, peace, peace in this together. Uh, as she's talking, it all starts making sense. Like she said a lot of things that I'm like, wait a second. Are you in this moment right now choosing between me and your fiance? (gasps) And that is what was happening. And she was like, she's like, tells me, uh, you know, I'm gonna, uh, uh, pick this guy. And I'm like, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Great. (laughs) Because you've been dating him for a while and you haven't seen me for two years. Uh, that's great. Yikes. I did. Uh, I did. I do think it's like really tight that that dude, that dude did propose because I was coming home. Oh, like she's like, he's like, I better, uh, which, uh, 
like they're still married uh to today so uh good for them but i also i and that makes me feel pretty great yeah. that you were that you were scared of a dude you had never met and it was me that's that's awesome but uh i i after that, I had no plans of dating anyone. Right. And I went to a singles ward in Boise, and I my plan for the summer was to go on a date with every single girl in the singles ward. And I was like, I'll just I'll just work through them. And I'm I've no I'm not gonna commit to anybody. I don't I'm not looking for marriage, whatever. I just got home from a mission. I just want to have fun. I just want to make people feel good. I just feel like I could take everyone on a date because in Mormondom, like it's so. There's like girls that don't get asked out on dates in the singles ward and it's like the worst fucking thing and it's just like you're only 18 and it's not that big of a deal. But what I was like, I can go on a date with everyone. What? I meet Tabitha and it's over. It's just done. I, this is the one. This is it. This is her. I found like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anyone else. I don't want to go on dates with anyone else. I want this girl. I want her. And she wanted me. Uh, and we just, we, we fell in love really fast. We told each other. Then I proposed, I proposed to her like a month after we had become boyfriend and girlfriend. And she said, yes, we planned a wedding. We got married. We moved in and we, I mean, that's commitment. That's commitment. We were committed, yeah. uh, immediately. And we had a baby together and like none of this was ever, I never felt claustrophobic with her. I never felt like, oh, I like her uh, less than she likes me. I never thought that she li- liked me more than, you know, whatever. I was about to say the Did same thing. Did you ever thing. think she liked you less than you liked her? Mm-hmm. You know what? I was I was going to try to say yes, but honestly, it feels like revisionist history. I in, Like the end, it certainly felt that way. Yeah. The end when things got bad. But in the beginning... I never felt that way. I thought that we were both just equally in love. I thought that this, it felt the way I thought relationships should feel like well, this is equal. Uh, and, and it was good. And it was yeah. good. Uh, and so this is, I guess now my last defense, <laughs> all my other relationships have, we've shot holes in, but I feel like I committed to that woman uh-huh. and was was prepared to spend eternity with her. I was going to just stay with her forever. And um, I got a little uh, weepy at Applebee's, uh, official sponsor of Mormon and the Meth Head, <laughs> when uh, you asked if, like, did she ever act jealous or anything? And I thought, I never gave her any reason to act jealous. There were no other women in the world to me. There was just her, and I and I showered her with love and affection i feel like we were probably codependent because yeah. we only hung out with each other but there wasn't any problems committing there and then to poke another hole in your theory a uh professional couples counselor with a phd clinically diagnosed me as anxiously attached which is passively often passive oh you fucking bitch oh god damn it what fuck so how long was the honeymoon i've been saving that i I said in the beginning i was like and i will get back to that i thought that was going to be my saving uh grace i am anxiously attached to you Uh and i believe that i am passively commitment phobic uh i believe that i have my own commitment issues that I've had my entire life 
and uh, I do believe that I love you, but I I believe that I am over the top comfortable with committing to you because you are not over the top comfortable with committing to me. Hmm. <sighs> um, how long was the honeymoon phase of your marriage? How long was I've the asked this question phase? a lot of times, but like, uh, because I think like it's, it's not about a desire. Like what you experience now is a fear of co the committing just in tiny, tiny, but it's a very extreme case. What you have now is a very extreme case that does seem like someone who got hurt, but commitment issues are very, they fly under the radar unless you're looking for them. And so the, these people commit, they get married, they get mortgages, they have kids, and but they have this anxiety running in the background, or they fall in love with someone who is also avoidant, and then they get to experience this romantic, um, like, flowing love, but the other person is withholding, and that's why they are comfortable in that. So obviously, you both wanted to get married. You were both in love. I'm not taking away from that at all. You were also uh, very young and Mormon, and it was a big part of the culture that you were in. Not saying that's why anyone did it, but you were in a culture built around commitment at the age that you were at. And so the question that I asked earlier was what did she ever run full speed at you with a love greater than the love you were putting out to her first? Because that's where you would see active commitment phobia. Or did she ever hold back in a way that made you put out more love? It's how it ended, right? But that's how it ended. But I don't think she was ever like that in the beginning. And I don't think she uh, ever scared me, but I think that uh, we we were running at each other at the same with the same amount of love. Like I don't, yeah. uh, um, I was never scared, but I don't think that was because she wasn't showing love. I feel like she did show uh, love right away. I think she did a lot of things that would scare me right now. Just the, like the time, like the stuff that we shared, the, you know, like seeing each other, meeting each other's family, spending time at each other's homes. Um, I definitely wouldn't want to do that now. Just, we talked about getting married right away. Yeah. And which is not uncommon. With I, yeah. Moments, that's the stuff like, that I mean. Is but, but, but that's, I never once was like, oh, I think this girl likes me more than I like her. And she liked me a lot. Okay. She liked me a lot. So, uh, is this, what's this, what's the secret in the book? Are you like that? Cause it sounds until the end where it got bad. It sounds like, uh, I found the right kind of woman. Like we were, uh, are you, is a commitment phobic person supposed to find someone who is avoidant so that they, is that the only way that they get to have a relationship or are you supposed to like, I don't know, like, you know, do therapy and fix yourself or some shit. I feel like Jason was a good match for me because, um, he was, I think in order for me to be comfortable in a relationship, I probably need to be the avoidant one 
because if I'm anxious, it's, it consumes my life. And so I do, because of the relationship with Jason, know that I am capable of turning off the avoidant thoughts. If you're someone that I'm capable of being in love with. The thing that I didn't love about this book is it's like every relationship is an example. It's basically like if if a person who you find interesting and smart and funny and you enjoy their company and you you know you work well together loves you and wants to commit to you and you don't have any real complaints about that but you have like nitpicky little things or just i don't know they're just not the one or i just don't they love me too much or whatever that that's probably commitment phobia and I feel like most of my avoidant shit, you don't even get that close to me. Because I'm like, you just don't check the boxes. What's wrong with nitpicky stuff? I feel like I don't... Um, that I you'll don't be alone want... forever. Say so what? That you'll be alone forever. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Can I be honest with you? Mm-hmm. I'm like still scared of the spider, even though it's dead. I know. You keep looking above I keep my looking head. up above, like in that spot. I keep looking up above it. I don't know the in the in the book of the solution I read it's just mostly like you have to white knuckle it until you work through the anxiety. You have to do everything. Is that what you did with your husband? Mhm. I was talking to a friend about who's avoidant and um the one who taught me about attachment styles and she had a story similar to the one I had with Jason where she felt horrible feelings during a breakup and then she just remembers those feelings when she's feeling avoidant she just remembers like the grass is not greener like it feels terrible when we break up and so she just remembered that I think Jason was perfect because he's aloof and distant and but also just loved me and I knew I was safe. I knew that's where he wanted to be. And, um, but he gave me tons of space. That's the perfect combination for me. I recognize that that is extremely rare and that it, you know, would probably take me a long time to find that again. Uh, it seems like most everyone in the dating pool in your thirties and forties, forties, I think people start getting divorced and, and widowed. But in your 30s, everyone left is avoidant and it's uh, a nightmare hellscape out there. So that's cool. I think I can go back through all these like past uh, relationships that we talked about tonight and I can see your point and I go, okay, like, yeah, I can see how there uh, I might have been uh, passively commitment phobic, mm -hmm. right? Uh but like looking back at me and Tabitha, I like I just can't like those feelings that I recognized and I was like, oh, fuck uh, that when, I'm, when I could remember going, oh, she likes me more than I like her and feeling that that f sensation of the walls closing in and feeling like I got to get out of this. I could be honest and say, yeah, that was there. That was there. And I can't about Tabitha in uh in the beginning it was just uh perfect and wonderful and then uh it was just the end where we got you know super anxious and avoidant and uh and she hated me or something <laughs> uh but uh 
Yeah, I don't know what to. I don't know what to do with that. Is that, but I, I just kind of like that. I like the, uh, despite everything that uh, that that we've become, that she's become in my mind, and everything that happened after, and I like I I, I used to think like she she broke me right like that I was fine with commitment that I loved commitment and then she broke me and now I'm like this and talking with you today I'm like oh okay maybe there's maybe this was already there before her yeah uh and I don't know it actually makes me feel better about uh our relationship um and uh like it's just nice to it's nice to be like oh, okay that was real that was like there was something good there once whatever but uh i don't know i think that's uh there's just no like good easy like tidy answer and sometimes life is like that yeah anyway uh let's wrap this thing up jessa is there anything we have to say no announce no plug nope okay we'll catch you guys next week at applebee's uh and until then um good luck you know figuring out all the things that are wrong with you <laughs> and then report back uh next time a mormon and the meth head if you put a mormon and a meth head together this is what they sound like Aaron would all just a radar friends listen to them talking to mike now, you want to hear another uh, story about high school me? Yeah. Okay. So one time, we, me and Nick, Nick of The Last Move. Okay. Uh, which one day we should like charge people to stream on Patreon yes, or please. something. We should, uh, only if we can make money off of it. <laughs> It is so fucking embarrassing, guys. I this uh, I recently uh, did. I ever tell you this story, Jessa, about uh, before Cedar City? I how we re- had this mission reunion. I don't think so. Uh, I met up with an, a guy from my mission in Cedar City. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And just at random. Uh, he like was trying to pick a Mexican restaurant for us to eat at. And I was like, I don't think my kid's going to go for it. Can we just do something with French fries? And he was like, right, let's just do Jack in the box. We picked a random Jack in the box. And uh, we start talking about people from our mission. Cause that's what you do when you get together. And we had talked about a particular guy, uh, that we both loved. And then that guy walked into that Jack in the box I'm in Cedar city. Telling Utah. You there's a thousand of us. Well, well, even if there's a thousand of us, it's, there's still because he's on his way yeah, to Cedar Disneyland. City is pretty, yeah, yeah, he's on his. He's driving his family to Disneyland. Uh, uh, so Neil lives in Cedar City. Right. Doesn't eat a Jack in the Box ever though. It was just a random pick, and I am only there because I'm doing a show. And then Colin is driving his family to Disneyland, has car trouble, has to stop, and then uh, oh like God. needs to find a place to eat. They're going to Cafe Rio. His daughter pitches a fit in the car about Cafe Rio. He makes an angry dad U-turn and is like, fine, we'll just go to Jack in the Box and then walks in oh on God. us talking about him. So and two we, of you don't even live in Cedar City. No, and we, had none, we hadn't seen each other in years and stuff. 
and uh, it was just crazy and it was cool. And we got to talking, and Colin said the last time we saw each other was when he came over to my house and I showed him and these other guys for my mission this movie, The Last Move, which I could not believe that I had ever shown that to someone. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding. It's so bad. I want to see it so bad. Nick sent me like a clip. A clip and you were already uh, horny for me in that <laughs> clip. clip. Anyway, um, before we made that feature film, I mean, we we're that feature. We made a feature length film called The Last Move. It's a it's like an hour and 22 minutes long or something. Uh, and it took us years to make, but we did short films in the process. And every year we would do this thing called the 48 hour film festival where you have 48 hours to make a short film. And it was so fun. And the first time that we did it, just, it was just crazy fun. It's like one of my favorite memories of high school. It's just uh, a wild, we loved it so much. Nick and I talked about writing a screenplay and making a movie about that weekend. Uh, but you go to a place and you have to draw things out of a hat and then you have to make take those things that you drew and they assign you a genre that you pull out of a hat. And you oh, have to Jesus. Make. So it can't be a movie you already had no. scripted. No, 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 no. You get a genre. Ours was film noir, which is our, like our favorite genre. And then you draw a line of dialogue, a, uh, a character's name, and like some uh, prop. That has to, that the, all these things have to be in your movie, and then you have forty eight hours to turn it in. So then we're just a bunch of high school kids, uh, and we just basically have stay awake for forty eight hours and just have a blast and just yeah uh, goof off and somehow make a movie in that time. Well, the we go home back to Nick's house and there's like a giant group of people and we're like all working on the script and stuff. And like in the next day we're going to start shooting. But with that whole night we just start, we work on the script and, uh, and like also just like just do dumb high school shit. Yeah. Uh, at one point during the weekend, uh, I found myself with, uh, a few other dudes in Nick's bedroom, like trying to, we were going to try to sleep, but we weren't sleeping. And, uh, we were just like talking and we were all just like talking about our girl problems. We were all just like talking about this girl doesn't like me and that girl. <laughs> and I think Nick was talking to <laughs> Nick. This is sorry. There's two different Nicks. And I did, I, uh, I didn't want to share his last name because there's a story about how, uh, he started the weekend off by getting arrested, uh, <laughs> for shoplifting Robitussin. <laughs> uh, dude, he, uh, he, he shoplifted Robitussin. <laughs> Le like he walks into a grocery store, puts Robitussin in his backpack, walks out of the grocery store and then uh, gives a home. This is the story he told <laughs> he, a homeless man is begging for money. He gives the homeless man ten dollars. He has a ten dollar bill. And then he's like kind of mad that he gave the homeless guy ten dollars. Yeah. And so he thinks he will even this out by going back into the grocery store and stealing $10 worth of something else. <laughs> oh, my God. So he goes back in the grocery store with his backpack, puts uh, $10 of, I kid you not, seltzer water <laughs> in his backpack, 
walks out of the grocery store again, is this time stopped by security and gets arrested. <laughs> and then his parents picked him up from the uh, the police station, and then he was like, I have to go to the 48-hour <laughs> And they let him. They let him. They were like, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And they let him. And then uh, that weekend, uh, we were like, while we were out filming something, um, other Nick's mom, whose house we were at, uh, found this other kid uh, tripping off of cough syrup. (laughs) Just, just a lo- we were gone off filming, and this guy was just alone <laughs> drinking all of the Dobson's coster. <laughs> uh, and I remember thinking, like, that was such a weird, what a weird fucking drug. You drink coster. <laughs> and then I told you about that time that I was really sick, and yeah. I drank cough so, so much cough syrup, and I was like, I get it. <laughs> oh, I hate that high. Dude, I liked it. It was great dreams. It was like the most lucid dreams. It was amazing. Anyway, I'm way off topic. Uh, so we're talking about girl problems, and he's talking about how he got arrested or something. And then the door opens to the bedroom, right? And uh, some girl we've never met says interesting conversation you guys are having in like a very sultry tone you know and uh she's uh there she's like an act actress she's gonna act in the in the film yeah she's from a different school i don't know how she knows any of us like because none of us know her but she's she's there and so like she joins the room and uh some at one point me and her end up in a bed together. There's one bed in this room and we were like taking turns, like using it, like we get to use the bed. And uh, then me and her end up in the bed and the other two guys leave the room and we're uh, alone in this bed. And she had heard me already talking about my girl. I was like complaining about how Mary Wilson didn't love me or something, right? And uh, she had like said something about, anyway, we're in a bed together and she's hardcore flirting with me and then we she like she kissed me she kissed me uh and here here i am alone uh in a bed with a with a strange girl yeah uh, and who wants me like she, this girl's being very forward like she's just like let's let's do this and i was like no, <laughs> I'm in love with a girl named Mary. <laughs> oh my god, really? Yeah, no, I was like, I can't, I can't. And um, I didn't realize you were like committed to Mary. Were you guys boyfriend and girlfriend at that? No, <laughs> no, we were not. I feel like the last thing that Mary had said to me was, "I don't like you," <laughs> and I was just like, you know. I feel like Mary would be pretty upset if I made out with you right now. So, no, this is a story about my commitment phobia. I couldn't even make out with a random girl. But I, again, I think I'm complex, right? Like, I think there's, uh, it's 
it's there is also a fear of sex and yeah. st- and stuff and i felt like this is wrong or whatever anyway i remember uh just uh getting the fuck out of bed <laughs> <laughs> she said oh god oh god how did i forget this I said, I can't, I, I remember like telling her like I didn't want to do this or something. And then she took her hand uh, and slid down my stomach and took the tips of her fingers and slid them underneath the waistband of my jeans and said something like really seductive. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and I just like got up and. I was up against the wall and she, I had climbed over her. I was like, uh-huh, uh, excuse me. All right. Yep. Uh, you know, I got to go check that script to make sure we're, I'll see you later. Uh, very important fact. The whole thing was in a dark bedroom. Right. Uh, I, so it's like now I look back on, uh, then at the time I was, had no interest whatsoever. Um, this sounds so hot to me right now. Yeah. Like someone whose face you've never seen. You've I've never seen her face. And she's sticking her hands just like seductively into my pants. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm I'm out of here. And then I remember uh, when I saw her in the daylight later, like when we were shooting. <laughs> sounds so rude. <laughs> but I was like, phew. <laughs> Gosh, I'm glad. <laughs> Jesus. And then, um, so she she found like in their conversation, she found like she knew what high school I went to, and she found out like she uh, found out that I was on the lacrosse team, and uh, then I don't know how much later this is, but it's later, it's way later. Um, our my high school lacrosse team plays her high school lacrosse team and this girl shows up to the oh game my God. shows up to the game i remember her wearing like a giant like julia roberts sun hat like just it was a huge sun hat and uh she after the game like came up to me and was like hey aaron uh and she had she was very uh, clear that she had come to this game just to see me. Yeah. Uh, and had like thought about me for months or whatever. And was like, I'm going to be, I'm sure she had other friends on the team or something that give her an excuse, but she was there to see me and talk to me. And, uh, she says, Hey, and, uh, I jogged away from her. <laughs> I was like, Oh, cool. It's great to see you again. You were great in that movie. Uh, I got to do some laps after practice uh, to this game because I coach is so mad. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so that's the I, another story of me running away from a girl twice yeah. uh, that I thought you should hear. The end. <laughs> that's like uh, way too long of a stinger. A podcast. A podcast network.